Prosecutor has completed his opening statement. Defense counsel ready? Yes, Your Honor. Your Honor, Mr. Foreman, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my name is Arthur Kirkland, and I am the defense counsel for the defendant. Now, that man over there, he's the prosecuting attorney. Now, in order to win this case, he needs you, naturally. You're all he's got, believe me. So he's counting on tapping that emotion in you, which says, let's get somebody in power. And if he gets them, if he gets them, he's going to be a star. He's going to have his name in this month's law review, Centerfold, <laughs> Lawyer of the Month. <laughs> However, these proceedings are not about that. These proceedings are here to see that justice is done. And justice is, as any reasonable person would tell you, the finding of the truth. What is justice? What is the intention of justice? The intention of justice is to see that the guilty people are proven guilty and that the innocent are freed. Simple, isn't it? Only it's not that simple. However, it is the defense counselor's duty to protect the rights of the individual as it is the prosecution's duty to uphold and defend the laws of the state. Justice for all. Only we have a problem here. You know what it is? Both sides want to win. We want to win. We want to win regardless of the truth. And we want to win regardless of justice. Regardless of who's guilty or innocent. Winning is everything. The day Jimmy got indicted, um, I don't... I don't remember where I was or exactly how I got the news. It was probably through Leanne, but I remember feeling sick to my stomach. Previously on Unjust Justice. After about three weeks or months of hiding in Miami, I come back to New York. That interval, those three days of me waiting for them to mail my passport, Tony Mott gets in touch with my son and said it's urgent that he have a conversation with me. And because I, I wasn't doing anything with Tony Martin, <laughs> illegal, I didn't have a problem with getting contact with Tony Martin. However, what I didn't know was that they arrested Tony Martin, too, because one or two times he must have handled some money for my brother, and they arrested him on it. And that was all due to what Khalil was telling me. So they arrested also Tony Martin. So by me answering Tony Martin's email gave them a way to track me. And at that point, I'm arrested on drug charges in Manhattan. With James Roseman under indictment in the Eastern District of Brooklyn, he would have to undertake the Herculean task of defending himself at trial. But let me give you a little perspective on what this means in the federal criminal justice system. When most people are indicted by the feds in New York, there's a cottage industry of defense attorneys that arguably are some of the best in the country. These attorneys ain't cheap. In estimates of what it costs to really defend yourself against the Eastern District, 
probably falls in the mid six figures. Imagine now, for that money, you only have a 3% chance of winning. It's documented. The stats are there. Only 3% of people who are indicted get a full-blown acquittal on any charges. Lastly, to prepare for this trial, Jimmy wasn't out on bail. He couldn't go to Lickman's office. He was locked up. So that means your lawyer has to prepare for trial with you inside a federal jail, most of the time meeting with you for a few hours at a time. This battle against the government is the hardest test of any lawyer in the federal system. And I will let you in on a little secret. These high-powered lawyers, they don't want to go to trial because that means they actually have to do real work. Go through thousands of pages of discovery. Listen to thousands of hours of wiretaps. The dirty secret is most lawyers, they want to take a big upfront retainer, go through the process, and then tell their clients to take a plea deal. Jimmy's lawyer, Jeffrey Lickman, was one of those guys you see on the cover of the New York Post or the New York Daily News on the courthouse steps. He commands a big fee. He was one of the main defense lawyers for El Chapo Guzman, and his claim to fame was beating the government for notorious mobster John Gotti Jr. He was Jimmy's lawyer for most of his career, and he knew this case like the back of his hand. But in this episode, you will listen to what the federal government did to make sure Jimmy had no advantage. And what happened will surprise you. I used to think the federal justice system was fair, but what I've witnessed made it clear that it's rigged. It's not fair for anybody, and especially not James Rosemont. Here's Jimmy's lawyer, Jeffrey Lickman. Attorneys for Mexican drug lord Joaquin El Chapo Guzman say they will appeal his conviction. A federal jury found Guzman guilty on 10 counts yesterday, including drug trafficking and money laundering. Now, he is expected to be sentenced to life without parole in June. Guzman's attorney, Jeff Lickman, has defended other high-profile clients, including American mobster John Gotti Jr. I started working with Jimmy I don't know that it was ever any case that I had with him back then, but it was certainly things around him. I was representing somebody related to Jimmy, a friend in a federal narcotics case, and, and Todd was the young prosecutor at the time, and he was obviously you know, very mouthy about Jimmy, and he wanted Jimmy, and Jimmy this, Jimmy that, but there was nothing in the case that I was involved with with Todd, where Jimmy's name was even mentioned. So it wasn't like this case came about and while he wanted to talk to me about Jimmy constantly, it wasn't like there was anything in this case, at least what he had given me in terms of discovery, that tied Jimmy into any of this. You know, we had heard rumblings of their federal investigation. It was certainly no um, secret. We were getting contacted by people that the feds were interviewing. They were, you know, flying all over the country, interviewing people in prison, outside of prison, and they were asking about Jimmy. That's all they wanted to talk about. Um, I traveled to see one in prison in Atlanta, and he was told he was promised all sorts of, you know, riches and you know, all sorts of things. I don't know whether it was true or not, by the feds. If if only he would cooperate against Jimmy. And it was one after another. We're getting back, so I would 
basically shadow their investigation. Contact from uh, the feds to a, a potential witness in a prison in Atlanta? Well, that's where I was a week later with an investigator finding out what happened. We're talking to witness after witness, we were shadowing their investigation, and every one of them uh, came back with the same thing. This Todd Kaminsky's crazy. Um, he's fast and loose with the facts. All he wants is Jimmy and Jimmy this, Jimmy that. So, you know, you take with a grain of salt to some extent what witnesses and inmates will say about a prosecutor because they have a sort of a built-in bias. But Todd was at the center of it and, you know, it's again, there was nothing that was outstanding about him that, you know, that stands out, is the, maybe the correct uh, language I'm trying to use, about uh, Todd's investigation. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He seemed a little too enthusiastic. He seemed a little too personally involved. It was a little weird for a federal prosecutor, I have to say. As Lickman says in the audio, while federal prosecutor Kaminsky was traveling to different federal prisons to find informants against Jimmy, Lickman had an investigator trailing him to find out what was talked about. Keep in mind the cost of something like this. These investigators are usually ex-law enforcement, and they charge thousands of dollars an hour. To the average person, the amount of money it takes to even compete with the federal government is staggering. Could it be true that Todd Kaminsky had personalized this case against Jimmy? And if so, why? When does this really start to get serious? It's like a year or so before they indicted him. You know, I'm speaking to Todd regularly. I've got another case with him, remember? You know, still, I'm still dealing with him on. And I say to him, listen, you know, I don't know what you want me to do. He says, bring Jimmy in, we're gonna speak to him. I said, for what? You know, what do you want to know? What do you, what, what, what do you, what do you want to know? I can't, I'm not just going to bring him in. What am I going to bring him in for? To, to sign an autograph for you? So it started heating up. You know, we knew that they were watching him, certainly. I think sometime around the fall of 2010, we're hearing that people are getting arrested now. I mean, this wasn't my first high-profile client. I had had the Gotti case and got him acquitted in, uh, in a hung jury and everything else. I'd, I'd been down this road before with high-profile clients. So we had heard that there had been... Um, people arrested around him, and uh, at some point, Jimmy calls me up, true story, and says to me, you know, look, this guy Black, Henry Butler, was arrested, and he's in the MDC, his wife had called me, and can you go visit him with an investigator? And I remember it was, a, I believe, a Friday night that he called me, and it was snowing out. I remember, I think it was December 2010. So I called up the very investigator who had uh, sent Jimmy to me many, many years earlier and said, Bill, we've got to go visit on a Saturday. We've got to go see Henry Butler. So I go see him, and Butler is crazed. He's crazed, angry, upset, and doesn't want to talk to me at first. And I'm like, dude, you don't want to talk? That's fine also. You know, I'm happy to get out of here on a Saturday in the snow. I don't have to see your ugly face. Um, I could be doing other things. And, uh, but he sat down, he just wanted to speak, he wanted an event. And I said, look, you know, we know that you've spoken to the feds and you're certainly entitled to. Um, and he lied about that. And I said, you know, your, your wife told Jimmy, well, it's like this was any kind of big secret. Um, I just want to hear your side of the story. And if I can get the information, whatever you can tell me that will help me defend the guy, you know, again, you don't have to speak to me. And I've got a witness there, remember. 
And uh, his major complaint was the lawyer that he had, that he claimed was given to him by Jimmy, and you know, repeatedly was very angry that he was stuck with what he said was an idiot lawyer. And as I remember him saying, was it's not fair. Um, Jimmy's got a million dollar lawyer, and I've got this piece of junk $25,000 lawyer. He says, well, I want Jimmy to hire me another lawyer. I said, look, I don't know anything about the hiring of Russo, and we're not hiring you a lawyer. I said, what I can do for you, if you want me to give you some names of other lawyers that I think are competent, happy to do that. But I said, if you think that I'm going to go back to Jimmy and get money for a lawyer for you when you're cooperating with the government, I said, it's, it's madness. It was obstruction of justice. And I didn't want there to be any claim later down the road that we had promised him something in an effort to get him not to cooperate. Remember, he had already been debriefed by the government multiple times. And his wife was as well. What am I going to do? I'm going to pay him off through Jimmy and then have him go back to the feds and say, all those things I told you before, they were all lies. I don't want to cooperate anymore. It was just, it was just stupidity. So my response to him was, here's a list of lawyers. Whatever I can do to help, if you want me to call them and have them come in to see, I'm happy to do that. But we're not getting involved in anything changing your lawyer. There's no way. And I had, again, I had a witness that was there with me. Well, wouldn't you know, after that meeting, uh, Jimmy eventually gets charged in May of 2011. We're continuing to do our thing. We're interviewing as many witnesses as possible. I've had discussions with Todd Kaminsky now, certainly for well over a year or two at this point about Jimmy. What was most upsetting is they completely lied about the meeting with Henry Butler. They claimed that I went in there and said, look, uh, we will give you money for a new lawyer and you won't be stuck with uh, the dopey uh, Jason or Justin Russo, whatever his name is. And uh, it wasn't true. It just absolutely wasn't true. There's an old saying around gangsters that today has really gone out the window. Nobody talks, everybody walks. You'll be surprised to find out that many criminals don't really understand the mechanics of federal investigations. Henry Butler asking Jeffrey Lickman for a lawyer after he had already debriefed the government is a joke. The best advice anyone can get when dealing with the FBI and federal prosecutors is to say nothing until you have a lawyer present or you have decided one of two things. If you are going to become a cooperator, which is what they want, or if you are going to trial. Either way, if you shut your mouth, it's better in the long run. And it was shocking because I'm thinking, I've got a witness who was there with me, and that doesn't even matter anymore. I couldn't tape the conversation because in prison you're not allowed to bring in a tape recorder. All I could do was take notes, which I did. I, I checked my memo before I came on today to see exactly what happened in that meeting. And there were complaints about Jason Russo, but there were no requests for me to give money, or maybe there were requests, but we, we smacked it down immediately. So I went to see the prosecutors. One of them being Todd Kaminsky was, again, the junior prosecutor in the case, and surely was not making any decisions that mattered here. And it was um, Carolyn Picorni, who was the lead prosecutor. I'd known Carolyn for, for decades at the time. I said, I'm willing to take a polygraph test anytime you want with your FBI agents. If I fail, I will walk away from this case. If I pass, you have to acknowledge that Henry Butler lied about what occurred in that meeting in the MDC. No, 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 we're not going to have you take any polygraph test. They smiled at me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
I said, I'm telling you that this never happened. I said, Carolyn, you've known me for a long time. I've been involved in some pretty hairy cases with you. There's never been any allegations of impropriety, any uh, uh, ethics violations. You know, I would never do that for a client. It's not worth it. When I'm going to give away my career, I'm 40-something years old, uh, I'm going to give away my career for a client. And she says, no, this is what Henry Butler's saying. So he's going to testify to it in the trial. And if you're Jimmy's lawyer, you know, you're going to come out as a, as a witness attempting to obstruct. And in the letter, they were very careful not to accuse me of any criminal activity. But the allegations of what I did basically were unethical, but they wouldn't dare say it. And <clears throat> they even said in the letter, we're not accusing him of any dishonesty or of any uh, criminal violations, but him receiving money was evidence of a crime, of Rosemont's crime, of generating cash from a business that doesn't normally generate cash as, as management business, and what happened with Henry Butler. It wasn't true. Finally, <clears throat> Carolyn says to me, and again, with God as my witness, says, look, we know that that didn't happen in the prison the way Butler said it. Of course you didn't promise to give him money to help him hire a lawyer, but we know that if you're Jimmy's lawyer, you know, he's never going to cooperate, he's never going to plead guilty, he's going to fight the case to trial and we had to get rid of you. And I remember thinking like, this is America? I said, this has to be an Eastern District thing because everybody, any defense lawyer knows that the Southern District is more honest than the Eastern District. <clears throat> There's all sorts of sleaze in the Eastern District. And the fact that they did this to get me off the case stunned me. It was absolutely stunning after I had offered to take a polygraph test. I'll take it right now, I'll take it on camera and I'll pass. Because it never happened, I would never be so stupid. <clears throat> but it served its purpose. We went to court, they discussed uh, the application, the motion to remove me from the case, disqualify me, and the judge was, was shooting bullets, shooting daggers at, at Jimmy and, and myself, making it clear he wanted me off the case. And before it ever even got litigated, I was prepared to fight it to the death. You know, I knew that they were investigating me, they had pulled my bank records, I knew that they were asking every cooperator about me as well. But you know, in this kind of business, if you scare easily, you don't belong in this business. It's just not that kind of business for someone who's going to be afraid of his own shadow. I didn't care. I knew I didn't do anything wrong. I knew that Jimmy would never get me involved in anything uh, criminal. And I was prepared to fight that to the end. Jimmy instead felt that he saw the writing on the wall, the fairly obvious writing on the wall, where Gleason was ready to take my head off. And uh, I left on my own volition and helped out on the case, you know, as little that I could, and Jimmy uh, found a new lawyer. Removing Jeffrey Lickman from the case in federal legal circles is one of the dirtiest moves the federal government can do. It's a sophisticated chess move that actually has its origins in high-profile cases against the mafia in New York City in the late 1980s. It was used against John Gotti to remove his lawyer, Bruce Cutler. See, what happened is, is that Gotti kept on beating the government over and over again with Bruce as his lawyer. So when they indicted him for a final time, the government alleged that Bruce Cutler was what they deemed house counsel. That Cutler was actually a part of the criminal organization and was by definition corrupted. It's bullshit, but when the feds want to win, they win. When they want someone, it doesn't matter. 
all definitions of the constitutional right to defend yourself go out the window. The government deemed Jeffrey Lickman house counsel. Therefore, he had to go. The lawyer who knew this case the best, the guy who had prepared for close to a year now, couldn't defend Jimmy in the trial of his life. And what is amazing is that the Eastern and Southern districts get away with this all the time because the judges and the prosecutors, for the most part, just ain't fighting fair. So the, the government being scared of Jeffrey Lickman because Jeffrey knew every ounce of this case from the beginning to the end. And they knew they would have a fight with, with Jeff. So their, their, their tactics, which they've learned from Judge Gleason when he was a prosecutor, the same way that Gleason did to John Gotti with Cutler and him, was to always knock out the lawyer who's going to be the fighter. And so Todd Kaminsky, taking a page out of Judge Gleason's book, moved to disqualify Lickman, saying that he was a part of my organization, that he was my house counsel, part of my organization, that he was going to see witnesses. He was intimidating witnesses, which was a lie, which was an absolute lie, because all Jeff was doing was what a good lawyer does, if there's a witness there, he went and interviewed that witness. There was nothing illegal of what Jeff did. But what they were trying to do was indict Lickman because they knew for sure if they indicted him, they would get him out of the case. So it was a classic prosecutor's move to disqualify him, saying that he was intimidating witnesses, that he wasn't my lawyer, that he was house counsel to me, like I'm some mafia guy because my name is Jimmy Henchman and, and and that's how they kicked him out they got him out of the way you know and so that forced me to go with a guy who might have been a good lawyer who if he knew the case well but didn't know the case well and he was brand new to the situation with Jimmy's case I had personal knowledge of what the witnesses were saying with regard to what Henry Butler was saying with regard to what some of these other people were saying. I was there, and they lied. You know, they absolutely lied. Now look, in fairness, does that mean that Jimmy was innocent? You know, I don't know. I'm not gonna make that uh, conclusion right now one way or another. What I can say with absolute certainty, with God as my witness, witnesses in that case not only lied, but the government knew that they lied. And you know, my view as a defense lawyer always has been, look, if you're going to get my clients, just go after them and get them honestly. We're all big boys here, the clients as well. They know what they're getting themselves into for the most part. All we want is a fair shake. That's all we want is a fair shake. And it just didn't happen in this case. You can, you can convict Jimmy Rosemond honestly and fairly and legally, or you can cut corners, you can lie, you can rely on upon people that are committing perjury. That's what they did. That was the that was the reason Henry Butler existed, was to get rid of me in the case. And and it worked. And believe me, this wasn't a uh, formula that hadn't worked before. They did it with John Gotti Sr. years before to get rid of his lawyers as well. The feds are terrified to lose cases. To them, the ends justified the means. And whatever they had to do to get Jimmy Rosemont, they were going to do. Throw me under the bus. 
not a problem. Destroy my career potentially, not a problem. It just didn't matter to them. What mattered to them was getting this guy, getting him his life conviction, and they did. You're sending people in to get a, a lawyer indicted? Teff, as he's known um, from, I guess, the South, was a, a horrific witness. Was, this, is how, this is how the government was working. He then shows up at my office out of the blue. This is a guy who, like 850 miles away, just decides to stop by my office one day. I wouldn't see him. He's outside my office, wants to see me. He's obviously wired up in an effort to get me off the case, to get me to say something. The other guy, Khalil Abdul, I mean, I represented him for an hour in connection with some, I think, a stabbing case, which I think he ended up either paying off the victim or somehow obstructing justice. I represented him for an hour. He bounced a check on me, what a shock, a government witness uh, committing a uh, fraud, um, and I stopped representing him. Another guy uh, came to see me again, again, in an effort to either get me disqualified or to get me to say something, all working for the government. And it even got worse. Even Jason Russo, the lawyer that uh, Henry Butler said was an idiot, is calling me up and having discussions with me that were so inappropriate that all I could think of at the time was, this guy has to be working for the feds. He has to be cooperating because no lawyer with an IQ above, I don't know, 90, would be asking questions like this. Jason Russo, again, working for the feds. Another one um, talking to me about things that were inappropriate. I've, I've, I've represented some people that the government has been foaming at the mouth to get, certainly. I mean, you can't say that I haven't over the years. People that they've, uh, you know, would move mountains to convict. The stuff that happened in Jimmy Rosemont's case was by far the worst. I'd never seen anything this bad from a group of prosecutors from the Eastern District. Um, it was really just mind-boggling. Why they went after him the way they did, I mean, whatever they're saying about Jimmy Rosemont, he certainly wasn't the worst. Nobody could objectively say he was the worst. I think it became just a personal challenge for them. They took it very personally. And this is the problem with prosecutors. You know, with great power comes great responsibility. <clears throat> and not every prosecutorial act has to be geared towards getting a conviction. It should be geared towards getting justice. But it gets blurred sometimes. You have young, highly ambitious prosecutors who simply want a conviction because they want that next job. I mean, Todd Kaminsky, how much longer was he even a prosecutor after that? You know, looking back, honestly, the mistakes, I mean, we were pretty on top of every witness that was being spoken to by the feds. And I felt that we were really matching. I really felt that we were going to win this trial. I suppose, um, you know, Jimmy's behavior at the end before he got arrested was a mistake. I don't know that he would have been arrested in May if he hadn't slipped up. I think it, it, it could have been a year later, it could have been two years later. Well, the last thing that he did, I suppose, that was captured on tape with one of the government witnesses, you know, that was a mistake. But again, remember, just because you commit one act in an alleged indictment doesn't mean you're guilty of everything. But, you know, it's very rare that you have a guy that gets indicted and, you know, there isn't some stupid mistakes that are made. With great power comes great responsibility. And guess what? If you are a young U.S. attorney looking to win, looking to raise your profile, ethics go out the window. And the scary reality of how U.S. attorneys operate is there really isn't any oversight. They are the exalted federal government. They are the arm of justice in our country. Yet, I've seen in my own experience, U.S. attorneys lie 
and put on the stand witnesses they know 100% for certain are lying. They use witnesses and snitches to convey their narrative to the jury, and they can. I'll tell you this, I represented people that lose trials and spend a very long time in prison afterward. And they always tell me the same thing. You fought to the death for me, and that's all I could ever ask for. I can go to sleep at night, put my head on the pillow, knowing that my lawyer did everything for me, and we lost fair and square. What you don't want to have happen is, is knowing that you got that lengthy sentence and that your lawyer got kicked off unfairly, dishonestly, and illegally, and I didn't have my best shot. I didn't get my best fair chance. It's got to be killing him. I never thought for a second that we would lose that trial. And again, I've, it's not like some jackass lawyer speaking out of his ass, you know, beating his chest. I've won bigger cases, and I know a case that can be won. Sadly, I think the government knew it as well, which is why I got tossed. My regret professionally is that I never got an opportunity to get my hands on Henry Butler in a courtroom. I never had the opportunity to get my hands on Khalil Abdullah or Muhammad. I mean, uh, talk about an unholy triumvirate of disgusting, slimy, scumbag witnesses were these three, the worst. I've been doing this for 26 years. I can think of that with the Gotti case. Was uh, You didn't have to pay me to represent him. I enjoyed it so much. This was the second, would have been the second time. These were witnesses that I absolutely would have just destroyed, and I never got that chance. I think it had to be a much more aggressive defense to show that um, Chuck Phillips was certainly working hand in glove with the feds and with the Daily News to get these stories in, to sort of get consensus against him. I mean, that's what the, that's what the feds did, was what they wanted to do was to get Chuck Phillips to write these articles or provide information to Daily News, who ended up publishing it. A lot of it was easily proven false. And then what happens is when people in the street see those articles, they think Jimmy's cooperating, they're more apt to cooperate. I mean, got to understand is that Todd Kaminsky was going in to see these people and saying, here's an article. Here is the article. He's cooperating. He's cooperating. Why aren't you cooperating? You trust him? You're going to stand by him? He wasn't cooperating. He simply wasn't. But that's what the purpose of those articles. That would have been my defense. It would have been a much more aggressive defense. And look, it's not a defense for everyone because it's, it's, a, it's a pretty ballsy thing to do. But listen, you know what's also a ballsy thing to do? To tell a jury that your client, who was the head of the Gambino family, left the mafia. Guess what? That one worked. Worked four times for us. This one would have worked too. And uh, the jury has spoken loud and clear. There was not a single allegation against John Gotti that was found proven after uh, years and years of bugging uh, his attorney's room in prison, of bugging uh, his visitor's room in prison. Uh, years and years, these allegations go back for 15 years. Not a single allegation was proven against John Gotti, and he was acquitted of some of the most serious charges here. How soon are you going to ask for bail? We've already asked for bail. The judge has indicated that she's... Uh, inclined to grant it, I expect to have John home within days, with his family, where he should be, and out of jail. Enough is enough. Jeff knew the case from the from in the beginning when it was a financial case. 
he he knew the witnesses and he knew everything else. So Jeff was the perfect fighter for me. This case, if you when you talk to Jeff, Jeff will tell you this was a case he was born for. Me and Jeff would have beat the case because we knew every witness. We knew everything that was going on with those witnesses. And he, he knew the person, a lot of them. Jeff would have knocked this out of the park. I sure enough don't believe if I had Jeff that I would have been found guilty on the, especially the CCE, the 848, the Kington charge that gave me the mandatory life sentence. I don't think I would have been found guilty on those most serious charges. Maybe money laundering, maybe firearm, or even obstruction of justice, but not CCE or kingpin. With Jeffrey Lickman out of the way, Jimmy had to pivot to another high-powered attorney in New York City, someone who didn't have the preparation that Lickman had or the fire that Lickman would have had because of what the government was doing behind the scenes. He laid it all on the table. It didn't matter that Mohammed Tef Stewart or Henry Butler were bending the truth. It didn't matter that possibly Khalil Abdullah was the real drug kingpin. Because at the federal level, justice doesn't matter. What matters is winning at all costs. On the next Unjust Justice. Doug Coleman, who they didn't call. However, him and Henry Butler had got arrested together and they were pretty much forcing him to say it was me. And he was like, no, it, it was Khalil and it was Henry Butler. That didn't have nothing to do with Jimmy. And they didn't call him because of that. Because he knew the workings of the inside story. Um, even though he had incriminated me on some, some other statements, but the overall picture, um, his name came up throughout the trial and um, that could be someone you may want to talk to.